0: The Triathlon Show 377. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode we have the second Q&A episode of the year and for this one I am happy to announce that I will have a co-host. This will be done with scientific triathlon coach and professional long distance triathlete Jack Hutchins. He has a background in swimming and surf life-saving and swim coaching so he brings a lot of knowledge and experience to the table for us to have really good and well-rounded answers to the questions we have received and we have received a lot so I'm very happy for that and we should have a good Q&A episode in store. Uh, just a quick note as well that the next Q&A episode that I will be doing will be probably in March uh, and it will be on bike training and I am accepting questions for that one already so feel free to email me anytime when you have questions and like like this one I will try to do it with a co-host if possible if I can uh, get somebody to, to come on because I find that that's it just makes for a little bit easier and better listening when you have two people chatting rather than just one and you can have a bit more of a you can have some uh, get get some more different perspectives i guess before we get into the q a a big thanks to our sponsors precision fuel and hydration that help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online tools uh, education content and a patented sweat test you can use their free fuel and hydration planner to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate sodium and fluid intake and you can also book a free 20 minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team Uh, as a salty sweater myself their highly concentrated electrolytes are very important to me in longer workouts and races and uh, there are no gels that i find as easy to consume even in large quantities as the precision fuel gels you can get 15 percent off your first order by using the code tts23 on precisionfuelandhydration.com and thank you to form the form smart swim goggles give you real time feedback in your swim training through a display on the goggle lens you can see every split to the hundredth of a second you can see live stroke rate information and even live heart rate through integration with polar heart rate monitors. All of this helps you execute your swim workouts more optimally with better control of intensity and better pacing. You also can get access to in-depth post-swim analysis with additional metrics in the app, which syncs your workouts seamlessly to platforms like Peaks, Trava, Today's Plan, and Final Surge. The app also has a vast library of workouts and training plans, or you can build your own guided workouts. Get 15% off the goggles with the code TTS15 on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the Q&A together with uh, Coach Jack Hutchins. So, here with me to answer today's questions on swim training is Coach Jack Hutchins. Jack, welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Michael? I'm good as well. Uh, Just before we start answering the questions, uh, can you give the listeners a brief introduction to yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I'm uh, a scientist. Typic triathlon coach. Um, My background in coaching, I started off swim coaching, I was head coach of a swimming club for a few years. Um, I also competed in surf lifesaving and grew up on the coast, so I have a bit of experience uh, swimming in those kind of uh, environments. Um, As an athlete, I race in the professional ranks of long course triathlon. Um, And yeah, I'm excited to have a go at answering some listener questions yeah great and uh, we'll try to uh, tackle these kind of relatively succinctly because we have a lot
0: of questions to get to but uh, yeah let's just crack on i'll read the question and you can give your answer first and then i'll chime in with if i have anything to add the first question is from uh, toine from the netherlands who writes "Uh, i swim just once a week in the pool in the late spring and summer in the late spring and summer, twice per week in the open water, always in a wetsuit or shorty. I normally do two 7.3 events in a year. I struggle a lot with sinking legs in the pool, and it takes a lot of energy. Now I wear buoyancy swimming shorts, and it takes a lot less energy, and I can focus more on my technique, and it gives me more fun in the pool. What do you think about this? Do I get lazy with the buoyancy shorts, or doesn't it really matter because I swim the 703 races in a wetsuit only?
1: Um, yeah, so I think. Anything that's going to get you swimming more, um, is only going to be a good thing. Um, if you're racing in a wetsuit, then you could even argue that swimming in the buoyancy shorts is more specific to that. Um, clearly, as you know, it is going to affect your body position. So perhaps, um, you could do the occasional kind of technique session focused on uh, your body position without the shorts. And then when you come back to using the shorts or a wetsuit, it potentially is going to be even better. Um, or just kind of being aware that it is having that impact on the stroke. So making sure you are focusing on your body position a little bit more when you're kind of swimming with the shorts, but, um, anything that's going to get you swimming more. And as you said, if it allows you to focus on other aspects of your stroke, then I think it can't, it's kind of, sounds like it's doing more good than harm. Yeah,
0: I would definitely agree with that as well. Uh, don't have too much to add, but especially if, uh, if, uh, he or she swimming once per week during the winter season in the pool, then yeah, that one one swim per week, uh, just try to get some good strokes in and and the shorts clearly help with with getting good, better strokes in because you don't have to worry about the sinking legs too much. I think a lot of athletes, to be honest, could benefit from, from this. And of course, if you are going to do something like Kona or something like that, then you would need to train a lot without them to practice that but but uh, if you're racing in a wetsuit always then um, yeah i think that you you can get pretty far for an amateur athlete by by just training relatively specifically to that with with
1: the added buoyancy that the shorts provide yeah definitely i need to get myself some of those shorts i want to have a go
0: yeah uh next question uh hello michael i have a question about swimming how should one train for an open water swim when open water is unavailable what is the best course of action in the pool
1: um so yeah i mean firstly the pool is a kind of more controlled environment so it is usually better for this to make up the bulk of your training um I would say that adding in kind of basic open water skills, if you can, in in the pool. So sighting, drafting, potentially turning around a buoy in the pool can all be done, and that obviously is going to help when you go to the open water. Um, One problem with being in the pool is every length you've got a turn and a push off the wall, so you're kind of giving your arms a break, um, which isn't obviously the case in open water. So one thing that I do when I coach kind of groups of swimmers who are training for open water is I get them to swim lengths without pushing off the wall. So they would potentially turn just off the wall. And so that kind of gives them that continuous stimulus um, of swimming without the the break. Um, and also it's a good opportunity to practice your kind of tight turns in, in the pool environment.
0: Yeah, no, I like that. That's a, that's a great exercise. And I think that the the challenge is logistically, if you don't swim with a group, what do you do then? But maybe you can get some a couple of friends, and then if the two of you, or three of you, or four of you can kind of, uh, you can get a lane for yourself. Then you can you can choose to do this swim and agree to do this swim together and do do that kind of practice. Um, and, and then additionally, you can also do things like. Maybe sprinting side by side to simulate a, a race start, and uh, and also do some swimming in a pace line to simulate swimming on somebody's feet or somebody's hips. And that's actually if you're three people, for example, or even four people, you can do like a diamond shape and just swim up and down, and and you can take turns to be on the sides or in the front or at the back. And uh, then then I would also say that it it really depend how much you need to do depends on how how you perform relative to your pool swimming strength when you're in the open water do you perform on par to your pool swimming strength or do you perform actually better in the open water or worse in the open water obviously if you perform worse in the open water relative to your pool swimming strength then you would want to focus a bit more on the open water specific elements but if you tend to perform better in the open water than in the pool then maybe it's not something that you need to put a huge amount of of effort into would you agree with that jack
1: yeah definitely um i think there's you know making sure that you could potentially add in some open water sessions as you approach your your race as well is going to kind of help with that specificity towards that kind of last block um but you know recognizing that there are differences between swimming in the pool and open water is kind of key there
0: yeah yeah and and, and one thing as well like it sounds like uh the, this listener has Actually, no, no open water available, which which is uh, obviously something that that is possible depending on where you where you live. But when you go to a race, just make sure that you maybe have a couple of days at the location where you can swim at the race venue, and th- that yeah. that that I would say is true regardless of if you are able to swim in the open water normally or not. If you can get two swims at the race venue in the open water before race day, then that that can be quite helpful, and just get you used to. to to swimming in the open water in those specific conditions where where you will be racing so so that's something to to consider as well when you plan your logistics around travel
1: yeah definitely and if you can't kind of swim around the exact course even just making sure that you're revising the course so you're kind of aware of what you're going to face on uh, race day because some of these courses can have quite kind of uh tight turns and different like intricacies that um can be quite confusing if you've not kind of uh had a look at a a race plan or um practiced it on the actual course
0: yeah all right i think that's that for that question the next one is from ashley who writes i am extremely time crunched for swimming due to travel uh, the travel time to the pool i recently picked up a senate swim trainer and wonder what's the most effective way to transfer training from the senate to the pool and what's the bare minimum of training in the pool and what's the most that i should use the what's the best way to adjust this over a season uh,
1: do you have any uh any experience with the zen 8 jack um not with the zen 8 specifically i'm aware of it i've used um kind of swim specific stretch cords uh quite a bit which um i found yeah really beneficial um i guess with regards to this question the kind of minimum out. It, it does depend on your kind of background and goals um it's hard to give like a specific number there um but it is you know really good for kind of specific conditioning and um kind of allows you to ingrain that specific swimming pa- movement pattern um i've found um but it doesn't allow you to get a proper feel for the water. So that's where you need to kind of recognize its limitations, I guess. Um, but the Zen eight puts you in a kind of prone position, right? So it is yeah. more specific than just using the quartz.
0: Yeah. So I think, so, uh, the question is, what is the minimum, uh, the minimum of training in the, the minimum bare minimum of training in the pool and the m- most that, uh, the Senate should be used as a supplement, I guess. Well, I think that the first question, the bare minimum, the pool. I think that if you can get two pool sessions in weekly, that would be that would be great. I mean it depends on what your level is. For some people that will not be enough to improve, but for for quite a few people it could be enough to improve if you also supplement with some dry land training like the Senate. Uh so or at least it could help you maintain and uh, make sure that you don't lose anything that you have built up over the years of of training so so i would say that two weekly pool sessions would be good to try to aim for as a bare minimum of course more is going to be better as you know but um yeah if you can if you get two of them done that's that's a really good start i would say and then in terms of what is the maximum that you should use as an eight I don't know that there's a maximum. It, it comes down to how much time you have overall for training, because obviously it's uh, also a, an opportunity cost of running and cycling. So if you have lots of time for training, but you just can't get to the pool, then you can use it a lot. And if you don't have so much overall time, then use it one, do one or two short sessions maybe in, in the week to supplement your two pool sessions and then focus the rest on the, the bike and the run, is what I would say.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if you could even um kind of block about block out some time where you could focus a little bit more potentially over the year you're very time crunch but is there you know strategic points on an approach to a race that you could add another session in or two and kind of have that as the the kind of compromise um for less swimming kind of in other parts of the build-up might be a nice way to do it if that's possible
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I I think that really helps because it also works in reverse. I feel that you can be quite consistent for some time, but if you're not a really good swimmer, when you then have a, let's say, you travel for two weeks and you can't swim, you can lose that quite quickly. But if you can block off those three weeks leading into a race or six weeks leading into a race and make sure that you can swim very consistently, maybe a bit more than normal, in in those weeks and and then that can also help you build up quite quite well into that race so i think that's a that's a great point Um, yeah all right so let's move on to the next question Uh, and this one well there are two questions here let me just check who the question is from it's from everett and everett writes i am a slow adult onset swimmer i made great progress the past year with more time in the pool and following a program I find it difficult to swim easy in zones one or two. What are some physical cues I should look for to make sure I'm not going too fast? The problem is that I find it hard to swim slow with good technique. Uh, let's start with that
1: one. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Jack? Um, well, yeah. Um, well done for making great progress so far. Um, that's kind of, you know, good, good effort because most people do struggle in the pool. But um, I'd say... Going too fast is um, kind of a common problem. And um, there's a few kind of things that I would probably suggest. Um, Technique-wise, potentially, is making sure that you're stretching out to full extension and kind of using a nice rotation to make sure that you're maximizing that distance per stroke um, rather than just kind of spinning the arms. Um, You can also implement some kind of hypoxic training so breathing every uh you know if, if you breathe in every three maybe breathing every four or every five um that kind of forces you to slow down a little bit um also i'd probably look from like a programming point of view at potentially adding in some longer reps of less rest because um just the nature of that means that you're going to be more kind of you have to swim them more aerobically rather than if you're doing lots of kind of short stuff and trying to slow down um yeah do you have anything else on that um uh,
0: no i think those are all the things that i had as well i think when one thing in the i guess post swim analysis if if you are doing those kinds of longer repetitions look at how your speed this is where using a watch sometimes can be a good thing like you can get uh Lap by lap paces, and and you can see well. Did I start out way too too fast and and then slow down, or was I pretty steady? Because the the idea would be that you would want to be quite steady. So then you can use that as feedback for next session as well. Um, yeah. No, on the hypoxic one, um, yeah. I, I think I I kind of agree with that, but I also personally I wouldn't want to do it as hypoxic. I wouldn't want to get to the point of like feeling. Feeling that hypoxic, you know, sensation. But I, I would say that personally, at least my preference would be if I do a hard set with breathing every two strokes, I would go to breathing every three strokes, which is still comfortable, doesn't feel hypoxic, but it's it it is not something that I would do in my harder sets. So so going yeah going up in breathing or down in breathing frequency, but without it being like too much of a stretch is maybe the way i would go on on that one but i do find that that is a a, a really good cue
1: yeah for sure that's a good point if you're doing kind of quality swimming then or um more intensity then I'd, i'd definitely stay say you want you want all the oxygen you can get there but i guess that also um breathing less frequently comes into um Increasing that distance per stroke a little bit because it does yeah. give you um, a little bit more time to focus on stretching out and um, yeah. rotating a little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think I think my point is just that it, I I wouldn't advise necessarily being too hypoxic, like going too extreme on the, because then you also you kind of lose focus on your technique and things like that. All you can think about is how bad you want some air. <laughs> so <laughs> so just getting to that point where. You're still fairly comfortable, but but reducing the, the breathing frequency, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the second part of his question is uh, he is I feel my strokes per minute, my my stroke rate is low. It's around sixty strokes per minute. Would it be worth it to try the tempo trainer to improve my stroke rate?
1: Oh, stroke rate. That's a bit of a yeah. I mean, stroke rate is. Um, In triathlon, it's kind of, there's been a bit of a culture of just, yeah, everyone needs to increase their stroke rate, but it is kind of an individual thing based on not only you as a person, but also, you know, what speed you're swimming at, what conditions you're swimming in, um, your kind of pull to kick uh, frequency or ratio. Um, And, you know, as the stroke rate increases, your stroke length drops potentially so it's about finding that kind of sweet spot i would say um you know y- you want to there's there's a few kind of things you could do in the pool um doing sort of series of reps at race pace and changing the rate and see how kind of easy it feels at different paces um but yeah kind of i'll be cautious with stroke rate. Also, yeah, when you increase the stroke rate, you want to make sure that you um, increase the right part of the stroke. So you, you want to still make sure you're taking enough time to get a good hand entry and a good catch. And you want the, the increase in the rate to come from the acceleration of the pull back past towards the hips um, and rather than it just being an, an increase in kind of complete windmilling. Um, yeah, if that makes sense. So. Um, yeah, I'll I'd, I'd try those things with the, the stroke rate test set and, um, play around with that and, um, also having different stroke rates for different kind of, uh, conditions or different, um, situations. So in open water, typically it would be higher. Um, if you're swimming faster, it would be higher. Um, if it's, if you're in a pool, it's going to be lower. If it's a nice glassy day, then the stroke rates to be lower, I'd say.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think I like that with the stroke rate test set, and I think that swim smooth had actually have done this uh, on a swim smooth course, uh, a specific set of fifties. I think ten fifties where you increase your stroke rate by maybe two every 50 and and you record things like uh, well your split obviously and and your your stroke rate but also your rpe your heart rate if you measure heart rate so those sorts of things and that, that can be quite a good one as well to get a to get a chart basically of your how effective you are at different stroke rates and and you can usually you tend to see one or two breakpoints where your stroke gets more or less effective depending on which way you go so so that can be quite helpful as well as a, to get a, do a specific test like that and, and there the, the tempo trainer can be good but i i would agree that just increasing it for the sake of increasing it without knowing anything more is something that i would be a bit cautious with because your 60 doesn't really say much it could be really really low or it could be too high depending on what your stroke your distance per stroke is and, and so on so it's it's just so ind- individual but what i would say is that um, when when you get fitter your stroke rate usually goes up automatically as well so your your distance per stroke might not go up but your stroke rate your the, what feels like the same stroke rate is actually higher when you get fitter That that's generally what happens so so when you train to improve fitness then you will generally as a uh, part of that will be your stroke rate going up so even if you're not focusing specifically on stroke rate
1: yeah that's a good point and even the ability to just hold the same stroke rate most people's yeah, yeah. I mentioned it before maybe drops off quite quickly in uh, especially in longer reps
0: yeah and and that's where that's where a tool like the tempo trainer can be really useful uh, whether it's for like holding a constant stroke rate or for just hitting the beep staying on pace when you're doing your longer reps and uh or well now i'm using the form goggles i really enjoyed that because it you get that even more clearly basically the feedback if you're on pace or not but but the tempo trainer does the job just as well and uh yeah it, it really is a case of how long can you hold your pace how long can you hold your stroke rate and that's where a lot of athletes, I think, need, need a lot, lot of work, a lot of improvement, uh, that they can easily hold something for a certain distance, but not for a significantly longer distance. So, um, yeah, that's a good 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 added point. Um, let's move on to the next question from Ryan, which is, uh, I've done many running and biking races, but, I'm, but I am new to swimming events. I have a relatively weak and skinny upper body, and I'm wondering if this is holding back my swim potential. I did start swim training sessions with a tri group, which is helping with technique. But if there's some strength or flexibility work I should or could be doing outside of the pool.
1: Yes, definitely. I think um, some strength and mobility stuff or strength and flexibility work uh, definitely will help. Um, There's loads of good information out there on kind of YouTube and um, yeah, online. Um, But I'd say kind of, focusing on the shoulders neck back um ankles for mobility stuff um for kind of strength wise obviously we already talked about the zen eight and that's like really specific so um it's really good for as i said ingraining those specific movement patterns to the swim but just general kind of strength work um looking at the core, um, and kind of big muscle groups is going to help. And then specifically to swim in kind of pull-ups, um, bent over rows, lat pull-downs, triceps, um, and kind of deadlifts and those kind of things that, yeah, really can, can benefit, um, benefit you in the pool or in the swim.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think I have quite a bit of notes here because it's it's a question that I find very interesting and uh, quite hard to answer, to be honest. I I think that most athletes can definitely benefit from flexibility, mobility training, as you said, shoulders, neck, thoracic spine, ankles. And those those are all really important, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be a long, intricate r- routine. I, I think you can kind of combine it really well with a poolside warm up and even if it's a few a couple of minutes five minutes at the most then you can get some some good things in and, and that will be a good minimum viable flexibility routine uh so that would be a good place to start and uh most athletes i think would start to feel some some positive benefits from from doing that uh in terms of strength i i i think i agree with you like i, I i'm a proponent of strength training and i think like a lot of the exercises that you mentioned there are exercises that i prescribe like bent over rows let pull down triceps extensions those would be kind of the swim specific ones that i uh would gravitate towards um but but i would also i don't know i have this feeling that very few adult onset males in particular are limited by their actual strength in the pool Uh, when we're talking triathletes or open water swimmers that do long events it's maybe different if you're doing the 50 or 100 free or something like that Uh, and obviously it's very different if you are a very good swimmer like a high level swimmer and you're doing those sprint distance events or middle distance swimming events then there's it's a no-brainer you need to be doing some quite specific strength training and you need to be doing quite a lot of it probably to to really maximize your potential but but i I don't necessarily have the feeling that most adult onset males in particular are limited by their strength training but that's not to say that i don't recommend strength training i do but i i think that it's it's quite a general um, adaptation that you're getting from it and it's I'm not sure how strongly, how directly it's going to translate to direct speed in the water, but I think over time, it will probably help you maintain your muscle function better, like over the years, let's say, and and it will be a good balance to long endurance training to do some, which is a very high intensity training when you do some kind of strength training. So, so I do think it's good, but I I do have that caveat that I'm I'm not sure how directly it translates to speed in the water
1: yeah that's a good point i guess um if it's can you know it's being in the in the water is always should always come first as a as a priority um i guess the other aspects would be the kind of hormonal response as well that you get from the strength training which is um more of a general kind of benefit but yeah but yeah um no i, I yeah i do see where you're coming from there i agree with you there that-
0: and and I and I think that uh, the benefits are quite a lot clearer when it comes to the the running and the cycling. Mm-hmm. So if you are going to go to the gym and and work out in the gym, then it's very easy to add one, or at most two swimming specific or upper body exercises as well while you're already in the gym, and it's not going to have any negative impact and possibly some positive impact. But uh, yeah, I think I think that in terms of the scientific evidence, there's quite a lot for running and cycling but there's not that clear evidence for swimming so and and that's kind of anecdotally as well my my experience that it's it's a bit unclear uh, but but that being said if you are doing strength training anyway then definitely it makes sense to to do something specific for for swimming as part of that routine so let's move on to the next question uh this one is from let me see here andreas and andreas writes triathlon swim training is often based on normal swim training they should know best how to get better at swimming right what should be done differently in triathlon swim training compared to normal swim training longer intervals question mark more or less technique question mark what should the ratio of technique focus to main work sets be also at the different times in the season and for different levels of swimmers should triathletes devote uh some time to learning the different strokes other than freestyle to become more flexible in their movement patterns your thoughts on limiters and how to overcome them or transferring technique and speed from the pool to open water swimming so there's a lot of questions there so you can <laughs> just grab a few and run with them
1: yeah right um, i mean yes swimming is swimming um but so just to answer the first question um Coaches should swim coaches should know how to get better at swimming because it is just swimming. But as we mentioned before, there's definitely some different considerations when it comes to triathlon swimming, um, kind of you know, technique wise and training wise. Um, which kind of you said there about the longer reps, which you know, most kind of swim programs are focused, even if they're not racing, they're kind of off the back of, um focusing on shorter um, distance races Um, in terms of doing more or less technique stuff. Again, that would probably depend on the individual, but I'd say um, it's probably wouldn't vary that much, but it would just be that the technique stuff might be slightly different um, based on the requirements of the triathlon swim. So, um, rather than it being a lot of focus on kind of kick technique and, um, you know, maximizing distance per stroke and obviously medley stuff, it might be more focused on um, the open water skills um, as well as kind of being able to maintain good body position within um the kind of open water environment Um, in terms of you said about the different strokes um i'm actually i'm yeah i'm a big advocate of triathletes kind of doing different strokes Um, i think if if you can't already do the strokes then it's probably not worth learning them but if if you have you are familiar with all the strokes and you can do them then i think it is worth including including them a little bit in your training. Um, it kind of, is good for evening out muscular imbalances, um, you know, technical improvements and feel for the water. So, you know, moving yourself differently through the water kind of helps and comes back to your freestyle, um, power generation, especially in butterfly, you have to generate a lot of power just to get your arms above the water. So I think that helps when it comes back to freestyle, um, just kind of and just general kind of variety and enjoyment um which you know you might potentially get from from doing um a bit of uh medley stuff um in your kind of triathlon swim program. but as I said I don't think it's worth focusing too much on developing the other strokes but just including them in there is is not really going to hurt at all um in terms of you said jack jack on the, on that i'm curious yeah. do you have like a level
0: that that an athlete would be at for for it to be worth it to include the other strokes let's say you're uh you can swim a 100 free in 115 so you're good by triathlon age group standards but obviously not a not a swimmer and not a professional triathlete uh, but what what would the level be that you would say that okay if you can swim a 130 back then it's worth including or or do you have anything like any benchmarks like that
1: um it's hard to put a specific number on it i guess again just because some people do i mean i've coached people who are just such you know naturals at a particular stroke and so you know they might not be actually the strongest freestylers when it comes to triathlon swimming but they've just they they can just swim butterfly really well or they've got a really nice backstroke um and so for them, you know, including it and continuing doing it within their triathlon program is is, is potentially a benefit or at least not a hindrance. Um, in terms of, yeah, specific numbers is or times, um, yeah, it's, I probably would struggle to put a specific time. Yeah. Um, Fair yeah. enough. Um, yeah, and then I think... Sh- Andrea said about the transferring pool to open water um and again we've touched on goes back to those open water skills um I think a big thing is confidence in the open water so being comfortable in that environment and so that kind of comes from exposure to being in in that kind of um position um and kind of pacing and, and not not rushing it. So in open water or triathlon, people often go out too hard, I think. And, um, you know, they end up um, having a big loss in efficiency because they're um, trying to fight the water um, rather than just kind of relaxing. And the speed probably won't reduce by much or if not at all, but you're definitely going to, be fresher going onto the bike and probably in the grand scheme of the triathlon will be in a better position. Um, Yeah.
0: Yeah. What about, there was that one question or one part of the question, what should the ratio technique focus to main work sets be? Uh, I mean, that's again, a question that's hard to put a number on, but any thoughts on that?
1: Thoughts. Um, I guess it depends on the, um, where they are in the training cycle. So probably earlier on um, when you're further away from your races, you'd probably put more of a um, emphasis on technique, you know, it could even be that, you know, up to, or even all of the swim programming could be uh, just focused on improving efficiency and and technique, a hundred percent of your swimming to start with. And then, as you start to add in um, more specific training, then you can just put that technique work into more of a top-up slash maintenance mode, and um, and yeah, increase the specific workouts, reduce the technique stuff. So putting the ratio down to you know more like you know ten percent, I guess, of total volume.
0: I mean, I think on that technique part, actually, or just a general thing first. So, I think that one of the main differences with triathlon swimming versus normal swimmers is that uh, as triathletes, we have a lot less time to swim, so we we have more constraints. And and I think that with that, it's really important to be focused, knowing what exactly it is you want to improve and what you need to improve, because you just don't have the luxury of being able to swim. 60k per week uh, you might have to get away if you're a normal typical age grouper you might have to do eight or nine k per week or 10k per week or if you're like a very ambitious age grouper you might be doing 15k plus or 20k plus, just about 20k most pros don't do like that much, nothing crazy like 20k a bit more than 20k would be quite normal so so it's it's not a lot compared to swimmers so so i think that's just something that should inform everything you do as a triathlete is that may make it count and, and know what you need to do, whether it's technique or like fitness or whatever it might be, open water skills uh, on the technique question, the ratio of technique to, to main work sets. So, I mean, I think that in a way all swimming is technique, whether you're swimming hard or swimming easy or you're doing drills or, you're you're always practicing technique you never stop working on it no matter what the workout is it's there's always a technical focus so so i think that um yeah that's that's my kind of my mindset to it that you're always working on technique but if if the question is more about let's say drill sets to main work sets then it's a very different question because my personal opinion is that if you're an amateur triathlete going to the pool on your own with no coach on deck to give you feedback then i don't think that there's a huge amount to gain from doing drills just because you saw them on a youtube channel unless you have them from let's say a video analysis or like a coached one-to-one session that you did uh, or something like an endless pool session or 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 so on where the coach told you that okay these are the two to three drills that you you could be working on to improve this aspect of your stroke and do that for a month and then come back and we reassess in that case obviously you have a very specific reason to do, be doing drill sets and and it can help you improve a lot but but one thing that i'm kind of trying I'm kind of against this to do drills just for the sake of doing drills. So, so that's something that I would advise against. And then I would rather just the athlete doing, doing uh, as their technique sets, let's say you can do a 10 by 100 and you can mix up the different toys that you're using, like use a snorkel for one set and fins for another, and just focus a bit on the constraints based learning that the different tools allow you to, to practice. And and I'm a big fan of the snorkel as well for the, uh, I would say for, technique work to just be able to visualize a bit where you're uh placing your hand and your your alignment and and so on so so in a lot of cases just swimming with different tools can can help you with the technique work Um, other strokes i'm i'm more or less on the same page i i don't i really don't think it makes sense to learn the other strokes if you don't know them but if you do know them then you can definitely include them in your in your sets i think I think from the reason that I ask is that I kind of have the feeling that you should know them reasonably well to for it to be worth it to to include them. Now you don't have to be great at them, but but you should be okay at them. Otherwise, maybe it doesn't make so much sense. But I also can't, can't put a number to it. Um, and I guess one part of the question is what what should be done differently. Well, we touched on that with the. Uh, I think one quest one thing we didn't touch on what should be done differently between triathletes and and swimmers is that keep in mind that our shortest event is 750 meters swimming and uh the longest is 3800 meters in the standard triathlon distances so uh so that's very different than a 50 free up to a 1500 free in the pool uh so yeah we we are talking about kind of a different focus on on uh on energy systems in that we need to do a lot of endurance work and a lot of kind of higher aerobic intervals, so let's say threshold, tempo work, that sort of stuff. And we need to do a little bit of VO2 work. But but I think for triathletes the distribution is different than for swimmers, because for swimmers they might be doing a lot of sprints if they're a sprinter or a lot of VO2 work, if they're basically anywhere else, anything other than a sprinter, because that's where their, their events will be uh performed. Whereas for triathletes, especially if we're talking olympic distance and above a lot of the focus is kind of threshold swimming that's where that's the uh, the uh intensity domain where where the swimming uh, happens in in our races so i think that the it makes no sense to spend a lot of time doing very anaerobic training and and a bunch of vo2 work you should definitely do a bit of vo2 work but it doesn't have to be like too much and and a lot of the focus i think should be more on the more focus on threshold and high aerobic stuff, and then the endurance stuff than the than a swimmer would do, just because the event duration is so different.
1: Yeah, I think. Um, just wanted to go back to what you said about the. I definitely um, agree that you know you should always be, and this just goes for any training. You're thinking about how you can be the most efficient. So you are. There's always an element of kind of technique work with every stroke that you take and there always there should be I think that's a really good and important point um I also wanted to just touch on what you said about the drills and um I think I do agree that there shouldn't be a drill without um it without you recognizing that you are focusing on technique but just doing something different within the stroke the same thing the same way that putting a snorkel on or using other toys makes you think about something different. I think sometimes just saying just an athlete or just doing a single arm drill, even if there's not a specific kind of focus, um, it just, it does make them or it makes the athlete have to travel through the water slightly differently. And it makes them have to think about what they're doing a little bit more. So mm. um, yeah, that's kind of point i had there
0: yeah no that's that's true and i think i think also as as long as you do the drills like do them relatively well but i think i think this is another point when you do drills that don't i i would say at least do them well and use tools to help you do them well so use fins for a lot of drills a lot of age groupers need to do to use fins to to be able to do things like let's say sidekick or Uh, fins and snorkel a good combo as well for a lot of drills uh so so i I would say that if you do them well and you and you know what you're supposed to be working on then then they can definitely be very very useful it's more so that just mindlessly following a a workout plan without really knowing why why it's there that's that's what what i would try to be to caution against um yeah, just one more thing was on the pool to open transferring the pool training to open water training. I think well we mentioned training in the open water if you can, but do open water races if you can. That's that's also really fun and it's really great training. So so that that's one thing. Also do triathlon races, do a sprint triathlon, do an Olympic triathlon, uh Olympic distance triathlon. Uh, if you can get to the Olympics, then do that for sure. But uh, yeah, those those races, they help. And the swimming in particular is something that when you get more experience, you you get better at it. So, so that's one more point that I had on that. And uh, the next one is, uh, what are the pros and cons of using critical swim speed testing to figure out training paces for swimming? I personally really like the test uh, because I find it to be very easy to pace properly and it's not very dis- disruptive to my training, does it tend to overestimate or underestimate uh, CSS for some athletes based on the athlete's characteristics, or are the errors more random in nature? Could these swimming paces be better constrained by an additional time trial, uh, such as an 800 or 1,000 time trial done on a separate day? How would you incorporate the additional information into the CSS
1: model? Um yeah, so I mean, the CSS is usually, you know, use kind of two swims and it measures kind of the drop off between them. So it should predict the the longer distance um, roughly. But as you've kind of alluded to, there doing a longer time trial on a separate day is um, can be really insightful. Um, and if it does correlate with the CSS, then you kind of know that you're pretty well rounded within um across the distances, but if it doesn't then potentially there is um, more of a gap there on the um, at either end of the spectrum and, and it's gives gives you um, somewhere to kind of focus I would say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's that's one of the big advantages of doing three a three-point critical speed or critical power test that you can when you do a two-point test then you always get that kind of linear regression that will uh, go through both of those data points. So you will think that you get a perfect fit, but then when you add a third test then you will see that well the fit is not perfect and there then you can see that where is it that you are kind of over or underperforming is it on the short end or on the long end of of things so um yeah i like to use three time trials so 100 400 and 1900 for css testing and if you're slower than let's say 35 minutes for 1900 then you could do a 1500 instead and it it is important to know that the critical speed or critical power is always going to be influenced by the selection of time trials it's no different in cycling or running as well if you do a three minute and a 20 minute uh critical power test it's going to be different than a three minute and a uh 12 did i say 12 12 and 20 uh so so it's not it's not that any one selection of tests is wrong but but i think that it's more useful and helpful from a training standpoint when you have a bit of a when you have a larger range of of tests so so and and I've found that the I think the nineteen hundred time trial pace that that really gives uh that that's where critical speed ends up being in swimmers that have good endurance. And and if you don't if your critical speed doesn't end up being there, then that can be a good uh a good kind of goal to have that okay, let me get my critical speed up to my nineteen hundred. Or my 1900 pace up to my critical speed, I should say. Mm-hmm. So, um, so in the 1900 test, I think is also if you don't want to do three different tests, I would just do that one, and then that you can use that as a rough proxy for kind of your, let's say, your threshold. So, and and it even aligns well with lactate from the albeit limited uh, amount of testing that I've done uh, there in swimming, um, and. Well the question about what are the pros and cons of critical speed well I think the critical power critical speed concept has a lot of scientific validity validity behind it uh and uh, so it, yeah it's valid as a threshold from from that standpoint uh it aligns well with uh with like the threshold 2, lt2 in swimming from from what i've seen when you do it with the test selection of 100 400 1900 at least the drawbacks uh, i guess are that um yeah, it, the drawbacks again come down to test selection, I would say. So if you don't have good endurance in swimming, then the, a 400 200 test, which is the most used CSS test, I think is going to give you a critical speed that is too fast. It's faster than your steady state. So you would potentially be doing a lot of your training uh, too hard. Um, but I also don't think you have to do a, a critical speed test necessarily. If you do, let's say you want to do a... a Kind of a good threshold workout would be eight times three hundred meters with building to maybe you could start with longer recoveries, but you could over time get down to thirty second recoveries or so and and I think when you do that test at a steady speed that you can maintain but but you're tired at the end, then you know that okay, this is probably right around my threshold so you can also find find your your zones through through workouts like that so it's there's no one size fits all. Uh, critical speed testing is not the be all end all but but it is useful i think and i I think that it is particularly useful when you broaden the range of the time trials a little bit and uh, we have a follow-up question or a second question here these questions are from william and uh, the second one is do you have suggestions for simulating open water swimming in choppy conditions such as in an ocean Um, yeah i think that's the question basically what are your thoughts jack
1: simulating open water choppy conditions um i mean going down to the local pool when it's really busy is sometimes feels (laughs) like like you're swimming in open water um i mean in terms of as i said earlier i think the turn is probably the biggest difference to from open water to the pool um and having that push off so if you can eliminate that in, in some way by doing kind of laps of a wider lane um or not pushing off the wall, then that's, um, yeah, probably the biggest thing in terms of kind of mastering choppy conditions. Um, then, you know, making sure that you can sight well, and you can also, um, incorporate that sight, um, into your stroke cycle. Well, um, when it's choppy, you're going to need to sight even higher up. So it's going to interrupt the stroke even more. So if you can, you know, make sure that your sighting is as smooth, um, and interrupts the stroke, the least amount, then lifting the head even more should be even easier. You potentially might need to sight, you know, on more frequently as well and on multiple, um, kind of strokes. So that would be where I'd kind of focus, um, my attention, um, if we're trying to kind of optimize swimming in choppy conditions.
0: Yeah, on that, I think that the water polo drill, so swimming with your head up for a few strokes, that can be good because sometimes you might you might have to do that in a race when it's really choppy and you, you have to use several stroke cycles to see where you're going. And uh, so so that's a good drill to have as a, uh, yeah, to practice and, and have as a backup plan in case you don't see where you're going with your normal sighting. And then the other thing, also making sure that you can uh, breathe to both sides yeah. so that you can choose that based on where the chop is coming from and uh, the third question from william is how does one incorporate swim specific movements slash exercises in my strength slash mobility training uh, i think cool. we already talked about most of this i'm just trying to see is there well he mentions that Uh, if i recall correctly from an earlier episode there's not a lot of definitive evidence suggesting strength training leads to improved performance in triathlon swimming nevertheless many of the high profile strength and conditioning coaches you've interviewed talk about things such as shoulder or thoracic spine mobility and seem to incorporate some strength training for swimming can you comment on this apparent disconnect or clarify if i'm remembering incorrectly
1: so i also just saw that um he said about ocean swell in the previous question I just wanted to quickly add on that one um, is making sure you sight when you're at the top of the swell because if you're not then you're you're not going to be able to see above the line of the swell so that's kind of um, and you can also kind of time your stroke as well with the swell with practice so that you're you're kind of pulling over the the swell rather than um, through it Um, yeah I just wanted to add on that one
0: yeah I think there is that like lack of evidence uh, in swimming compared to running and cycling for strength training as a direct uh, causal link of improving performance. Uh, but I think he's also right that many good strength and conditioning coaches would recommend strength training, and and I I do think it helps, especially the mobility stuff um yeah for me the jury is a bit more out on the the actual strength stuff not so not not if we're talking about actual swimmers training for uh sprint events or middle distance swimming events but if we're talking about uh, amateurs in particular training for triathlon then yeah that that, that's where for me the jury's out on the strength training but but definitely i think that uh, just working your muscles through a range of motion can't be a bad thing so so I, f- I think it can also be just some basically neural adaptations of that, that you might get there. So yeah, the, the the answer is that I don't really know, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I definitely think with, the, with regards to the mobility, when you think about running and cycling, everyone can, the movement's not very extreme. It's kind of quite natural to the body. I guess you could argue maybe time trial positions is very extreme, but just cycling and running is pretty, you know, it's quite, a natural, um, instinctive movement, but, but swimming, if you look at elite swimmers, they, the positions they can get their shoulders and arms into most people just can't do it. And it takes just so many years of of swimming, growing up swimming that they can kind of put their bodies in, in those positions. So it definitely, the mobility side, um, is really worth putting some time into.
0: Yeah. And I think there, that, that's an area where maybe, using things like stretch cords uh, and elastic bands can be perhaps can be useful strength training, even though it's not heavy strength, but it's, it maybe allows you a bit better to work on applying a little bit of force, but through the very specific movement patterns that you want to be doing it in swimming. And you can do it on land where you have a better proprioception of what you're doing and you can visualize, uh, visually see what you're doing. So, so I think that kind of strength training with, with stretch cords, elastic bands, and a trainer, and so on, that 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 can have a role to play as a combined mobility and and slight uh, light strength workout, basically. All um, right, and then we have a question. This is the one, the long one with with lots of of images. So I'm just going to skip to the the actual question basically it's about css training and uh, the the listener asks i have been using css based training over the years and i was first introduced to it back in 2014 at the swim smooth coaches training camp one thing that i never understood was why we were using something that for most swimmers is in the 20 to 30 minute uh, range uh, to to set as a threshold training pace whereas critical power uh, in running or or cycling is the theoretical hour power or our pace so jumping a little bit further the question is uh tom is the one asking tom asks uh, my question is putting css as faster than lt2 seems to be appropriate that's based on a link that he posted do you agree and do you have any comments on the disowning and its applicability uh, basically the link is to a, a triton triton uh article triton produces some wearables in swimming uh yeah i think just a couple of comments on this uh because we talked about most of it in the other css question i found that depending on test selection lt2 and css can be completely aligned that's my experience with the 100 400 1900 and uh and i think that they're both trying to get to the same point or that it's different ways of course like Critical speed, critical power is a different concept than a lactate threshold, because lactate is only measuring lactate, critical speed, critical power is measuring an actual performance level. But they're both trying to separate what is sustainable from what is not sustainable. So so you will you should expect to have some diff some a small difference there, but you shouldn't but it shouldn't be um like something that you necessarily you should expect that there could be a difference, but you shouldn't expect that there has to be a difference because there doesn't have to be a difference necessarily. So I would still always try to when it comes to setting zones in swimming I would set three different zones the low intensity zone, the moderate intensity zone, and the high intensity zone. And uh the moderate intensity zone is everything at and below threshold until like a certain point that is low enough that it's endurance. And the high intensity zone is anything above threshold where you just can't sustain it for that long a time. So, so that's the difference. You're trying to set the zone so that you can separate what is sustainable for a reasonably reasonable amount of time, let's call it 30 minutes, from what is not sustainable for very long at all. And uh I guess yeah, that's that that's how I would look at the the, the training zones. For me. What I found with lactate testing is usually that the difference between LT1 and LT2 is about five seconds per 100 meters. So so that's how I tend to, even if I don't test lactate, I do CSS testing, set the CSS first as the upper end of zone two, and then set the upper end of zone one as five seconds per 100 below that. And that's a pretty easy way to to do things, and, and I think it works fairly well. Uh, so yeah, those would be my comments on zones and thresholds
1: yeah I definitely um, I mean I, I agree that CSS um, should align pretty similarly with um, you know maximum lactate steady state but um, the the speed obviously will change based on if you know if you're doing shorter reps and um, with more frequent rest then a higher speed can be maintained um, and you'll still be at you know that that level Um but vi- the, the same is opposite is true, vice versa. Um, yeah, and then the zoning. I, I I like the kind of system that that you outlined there. Um, I, you know, I would also kind of uh, another simple zone um, zoning method would be kind of yeah, you got your threshold around your CSS, and then plus five seconds would be your kind of tempo, minus uh, per hundred minus five seconds would be your VO two max, and then you know above slope. Outside of those ranges, as your anaerobic and your um, aerobic um, kind of zones. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, definitely. Uh, the next question is: Form goggles are able to display heart rate from Polar strap. When I swim hard, I feel like respiration is my limiter. Occasionally, I wear a Garmin chest strap that records heart rate for review later, and my heart rate never goes above what would be zone two when running. I rank myself as very amateur. Is heart rate more of a limiter as the athlete's swim technique improves or is respiration typically a limiter?
1: Um, I mean, yeah, I would say sp- the specific conditioning is kind of required, same as when a, um, I think Michael and I talked about this before, when a runner goes to cycling, um, they might benefit from um they, yeah, they can't get their heart rate up in, in the same way because they don't have that specific condition into the bike um, and the same kind of is, is true here. Um, would you agree with that?
0: Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'd also um, make sure that you're breathing correctly. So make sure that you breathe out before the face rotates to the surface so you're not having to do a rushed exhale and inhale when the face is out of the, the water, which is kind of a common common mistakes and also make sure that you on the opposite end of that you're holding the air in your lungs um and kind of exhaling just before you rotate to breathe rather than some people as soon as they put their face under are kind of exhaling straight away to kind of prevent what's coming up their nose or or something it's just kind of an an almost instinctive um thing to do but but that you know make sure that you're you're breathing correctly technically speaking as well Um,
0: yeah yeah that's kind of what i'm um thinking reading this question that it's likely an issue with the breathing technique um but if it's not the other option that i can see is that maybe this is a very anaerobic athlete so even at what they perceive as low intensities they have a bit of co2 build up and that's what makes it feels like they're a bit gassed and uh and feels like the respiration isn't working properly but it's it's really just co2 build up and and in that case uh, i would say that the solution is just to make sure that you're swimming even easier and and that might require things like swimming a lot with a pool boy for example or with fins uh using tools to help you swim easier um to yeah just make sure that you you become efficient at producing your energy aerobically uh and uh yeah but but i think it's more likely that it's more of a technical issue but it but it could be that that you also need to focus a lot on the just making sure that you're you're doing all of that like easy aerobic swimming that you need to to do it to really adapt well to it so let's take the uh, final question and then we can jump into some rapid fire questions from instagram uh so this one is 63 year old male started swimming at age 12 love doing one to two mile ocean races races in the summer uh most my question is most guests talk about training at specific distances related to your race i'm about a 130 per 100 yard average swimmer over 1500 yards while i can do 100s on 110 to 115 uh on repeats and even get close to one uh minute in uh in a cb pool cb pool race um Mm. how do i improve my 130 pace to 120 what sets should i include in some or all of my three to four workouts per week by the way awesome show you guys create one of my top three
1: podcasts um so yeah i mean it sounds like you've got a good Top end there, but perhaps lacking um, in endurance comparatively. So, you know, simply put, potentially adding some more endurance tempo work um, with some longer reps would be a good place to start. Um, Doing some testing as well, as we talked about with the CSS and the longer rep, just to get some more specific data um, as well would probably help inform your decision there, I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Like, if if he's doing four swims per week, he could do two basic endurance swims with some technique work and open water skills, and and then two harder swims. One might be a threshold swim, eight times three hundred is a great one, building up to ten times three hundred even. And one could be more of a tempo swim with something longer. Like uh, it could be uh, six, six, seven times six hundred, depending on how long his swims are. And uh, at a kind of tempo pace that sort of low zone two pace in a three zone system. So, um, yeah, four or five seconds below three to five seconds below threshold, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably a, a pretty good basic recommendation based on, based on those speeds. Um, all right. So let's move into the, the instagram question so we haven't really seen this these at all so this will be off the cuff and we will try to make them really quick so jack favorite toys to correct form
1: um i'd say paddles it's um if especially paddles without too many straps over the top so if your hand entry is um or alignment is wrong with them they just kind of come off completely so they force you to have uh, a good hand-entry catch um, and kind of alignment.
0: Yeah, and I'll add the snorkel. Snorkel is uh, one of my go-tos. Longest reps in training in order to swim 3,000-meter open water in a half-distance triathlon?
1: 1,000 meters.
0: Yeah, I think that sounds fair. Uh, Ratio of load to rest like in running or cycling. For example, 2 to 1, 100s 100 in 130, 45 seconds rest. I don't actually know what the question is. Do you understand the question? Is the question is whether the the ratio, the work to rest ratio should be exactly like running and cycling or uh, equivalent.
1: Yeah. I, I, I I'd say no if the, if yeah I think that is the question and I would say no. Um, probably Going to reduce the rest in swimming comparatively yeah
0: yeah i i agree with that but but i think that sometimes the work to rest ratios are too high still in swimming so so there is a happy medium there but uh depends on the it depends on the workout sometimes they are too uh too low as well but yeah it dep- really depends on the workout i think for for example for a lot of VO two workouts uh some coaches anyway, I would say prescribe two short rests in swimming and the rest should be longer. But but in running or cycling you would like to have one to one, whereas in swimming you would maybe want to have two to one like like in this example here. So so it's still not the same as in running or cycling. That's at least my my opinion on, on the work-to-rest ratios. Um then my 120 per 100 meter becomes 130 in the open water tips to improve the pool to open water transition i think we've covered this one so we maybe don't need to go into it anymore next one i see very little emphasis on swim bike bricks in training are they not useful
1: um yeah they probably do have their place if you have the facility or position if you're in a position to do them but that i don't think they're necessary and um i think the biggest reason why they're not a common place is logistically it's quite challenging
0: yeah i agree with that but i think they are useful if you can do them i've I've done them both both on pool deck uh, getting the trainer to the pool deck uh, which we were lucky enough to do with the team here and i think my the squad that I that I have been training with, uh a lot most of them focus on short course racing. So in that kind of racing, especially, it can be super important to do that sort of training. So I, they really focus heavily on doing that, and and when racing approaches, they they do that with relative frequency, and and I it makes a lot of sense. And and but I've also done it outdoors, and it it's a bit more bit more of a challenge logistically. But yeah, you can make it work with having the bike in the in the trunk of your car, so I think they are useful, but they are challenging, and you can you can get away with not doing them, basically. So
1: yeah, I think one thing there is um, also just the swim to run as in the swim to the run in transition is is a good um, thing to make sure that's covered because obviously that going from horizontal to vertical, as I'm sure people have experienced, um, is is good to prepare for that a little bit.
0: Yeah, well. yeah. How do you decide when to leave the draft during racing?
1: I think if the effort is uh, it depends on the race, I guess depends on the race distance um, and how close you are to the end of the race. Um, but I'd say if in doubt, it's better to swim at your own pace in the long run. Most of the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, but it could also be the other, and I see I see where you're coming from with that. It could also be that the question is, is the is the train going too slow, and you you kind of want to overtake it, and you can you can try to step to the side and see how much more of an effort you need to put out in that case, and then try to kind of. But then, if somebody takes your place, and you need to go to the back of the pack, or you need to go to the front, or stay at the side and do the work on your own, then you it's it's a bit of a gamble so i think i think it's it's worth always being aware of the fact that you are saving a lot when you're drafting off somebody and to go faster you might have to put in significantly higher effort all right uh next one benefits of swimming as cross training for
1: the bike and the run um i think it depends on your level um as you know so if, if you're focusing on cycling and running then um yeah potentially would be worth focusing your energy more on them um however as a triathlete I think there is some crossover um especially at a more kind of a lower level just because there's more to be gained from um just putting in you know extra hours of training almost um once you get to almost a higher level and you're almost fully you're, you're more optimized in you're you're becoming more optimized in swim then potentially there there could be um, physical kind of developments that would hinder the the bike and the run um, but i think centrally speaking there's definitely benefits for um, fr- from the swim to the bike and run
0: yeah yeah, it's funny because uh, well, we were talking about this before a little bit and you see so many anecdotal examples of there must be a pretty big crossover when you see swimmers coming out of just swimming and then they you put a bike under them and they can bike like they've never done anything else almost. Running is a bit di- different because in running there's there are quite different biomechanics. But clearly there is a, a positive aerobic crossover effect uh but but interestingly when when you look at scientific studies that has never really been shown as far as i can see but that's i mean it's largely related to how do you design the study and and you maybe not don't see it in a, like a short training intervention period but it's more of a long term thing I, I i agree with you though that uh there are benefits especially but but the the more advanced you become more you need to train really specifically to gain further improvements basically i think that's a good summary and uh, the next one is heart rate a good thing to look at in swimming
1: yes definitely i mean as one of the questions we had earlier um they kind of recognized that their heart rate was um a lot lower in the swim uh, for the same effort and so that that is kind of um you know that shows that something needs addressing there um and I think with the swim if you're not especially if you're not used to using the pace clock um and you can't get kind of splits um because it can be a quite a nicely controlled environment and you can you can use pace really well but if especially if you struggle with that then um having heart rate as uh, an extra kind of data point can definitely um yeah help
0: yeah yeah uh i agree i think it can be very useful it it gives you i mean it's it's like an, a, in cycling and running you have the external external load the pace and the power and you have the internal load how hard is your body working internally as the heart rate so so it's really useful to have the be able to triangulate those and also rpe uh, and and it's nothing new really like the technology to measure heart rate in the pool is Kind of newer, newish, but but even in I remember reading Bill Sweetenham's champion. I think it's called Championship Swim Training, his book, and and uh, that book is from I don't know early two thousands, but a lot of the training concepts are from the nineties or even the eighties, and 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 a lot of the training is based around beats below maximum, so five beats below maximum or ten beats below maximum, and and they would just have the swimmers take their heart rate uh with their fingers so uh so it's not exactly new to be using heart rate in swimming um but yeah the technology does help of course Um, the final one is how to assess technique improvement without video analysis
1: Uh, you already touched on the snorkel which is a good one for looking at the um, hand entry and catch alignment that kind of stuff um i think there's probably the the gold standard would be to get a coach who kind of knows triathlon swimming to have a look at you, but um, even just getting a kind of friend to look as well um, could be insightful. Um, And yeah, just, I mean, just thinking about what you're doing um, with every stroke as we kind of touched on earlier is not, is not going to hurt, but without knowing what it is you're doing wrong it is hard I would say and it's probably you could bark up the wrong tree quite easily Um, a lot of people I've kind of done some clinics with have had pretty kind of wrong ideas of what they should be doing from what they've been told by people Um, and you know and it is even the specifics of a triathlon coach versus a swim coach. If someone doesn't know the differences there, then it is, um yeah, you, you do need to be careful with it, I would say.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think that without video analysis, I mean, I, I, it depends on how you interpret that because you can, like, it's so easy to get a friend to just video you with their phone and at least get above the water footage. And many phones now work below the water even so I, I think that the challenge might be some pools will not be too happy with that but in some cases that's more of a case of just better ask for forgiveness than ask for permission and just get a quick 50 filmed and <laughs> and you might be good with that um yeah i think i think that that's you don't need necessarily like you can get a lot out of just getting yourself filmed on a mobile phone it doesn't have to be that you always go and get a professional video analysis with with uh, with a professional in your area even though that obviously helps a lot and you will get the knowledge and the information of that person is the big thing not so much not 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 just a video but 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 if you know some things about swimming just getting yourself on on a mobile phone camera that that helps a lot or as you said a friend to that knows something standing on the side or at the end of the pool deck and and watching um yeah i think I would I would say don't yeah I I would say try try to do it with the with the video not not without the video because it's quite quite easy to get and uh, and get it for free just using a friend and a mobile phone you uh, if you don't want to spend the money then you don't you don't have to but you can still get some some video to to make the analysis from
1: yeah i know um in europe it's a bit easier but in the uk it is they're very strict with in yeah. those pools i think yeah. one way to get around it i've done is if you hire a lane sometimes they they allow it in under that condition which is is worth doing because it you know if you hire a lane for 30 minutes or something it's maybe 15 quid which hmm. and you know if you if you're only doing it as a one-off then it's definitely worth doing that
0: yeah yeah that's fair um yeah and so so that, that that would be the solution then. But yeah, other than that, um, yeah, coach, friend to help you uh, help you point out some things. But yeah, I guess that's it. And uh, I know well we both have calls starting in five minutes. So so thank you for for this, Jack. Uh, it was very fun to have you, and uh, thank you for sharing your expertise uh, with these questions. I I enjoyed it and I I learned something. So so hope we can do it again another time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I hope, um, yeah, I gave some good information. Thank you. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
0: I hope that you enjoyed this episode and uh, in particular that you liked the addition of a co-host for these Q&As. I liked it a lot and uh, I definitely hope that I can continue to uh, to do this with future Q&As. I just think it, it adds an extra dimension and, and it's better and easier listening. Uh, so as I said, I will do the next Q&A episode in March and that one will be on bike training. So feel free to email your questions to me already if you have questions on that. And you can follow along on Instagram and on the Scientific Triathlon newsletter if you want to get informed every time I put out a request for questions for upcoming Q&A episodes. You can find show notes for this episode on scientifictriathlon.com. And uh, next Monday, I have an interview with uh, Dr. José Ateta about energy availability and low energy availability. Uh, So that one will be a good one with uh, quite a bit of science, but also practical application. And uh, if you're interested in uh, improving your triathlon performance, then consider using a coach or a training plan. You can check out what we have to offer on scientifictriathlon.com. Jack, who you got to know here today, is one of our coaches that currently has availability and is taking on athletes. So if you're interested, we can set up a discovery call with him and see if coaching with him seems like a good fit. Uh, Or you can check out all of the options that we have on scientifictriathlon.com. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs, and get a specific and effective race strategy, and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS23 at checkout for 15% off your first order. And thank you to Form that you can find on formswim.com forward slash TTS. Improve your swim training with real-time metrics like pace, stroke, and heart rate, and advanced post-swim analysis. And use the code TTS15 to get 15% off the Form Smart Swim goggles. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart, and keep loving craft love.